Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito. I'm joined by... Shelly Mazzanoble. I'm not going to sing, though. This Did I sing? I didn't even realize. Yeah, it was kind of a sing. No, that's what, this is the official Dungeons & Dragons singing podcast, so we that's have to right. sing when we do it. Oh, boy. That's part of the deal. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'll do some lip syncing. We got a really cool, uh, fun uh, interview today. We're talking to uh, Kevin Wilson. Whose name is on this box. Name is on the box for the Tomb of Annihilation board game uh, produced by WizKids in collaboration with the Dungeons & Dragons team. It's all about uh, the Tomb of Annihilation story, but it uses the D&D Adventure System board game stuff. So we'll talk to him. He's a veteran of board game design as well as Dungeons & Dragons play. Uh, So we'll pick up his brain on all those topics. Coming up, uh, what are the fun things that are going on in the Dungeons & Dragons world? Well, you might ask. I asked. You asked? Yeah. And did you, I asked did for you ever a find few, it? though. Just a few good things <laughs> How happening. many do you need? Wait, because you need to get to like a meeting, don't you? I have alerted them I will be late. Nice. All right, so I'm going to do uh, only a few of them uh, because that's what Shelly needs. And I give uh, – no, I never <laughs> – oh, this is getting crazy. <laughs> Uh, Extra Life. We should talk about Extra Life because it's for the kids. Uh, We are raising money for Seattle Children's Hospital as well as children's hospitals across the country uh, and the world by playing Dungeons & Dragons, doing what we do best. So on November 3rd and November 4th, we will be playing as much Dungeons & Dragons as possible uh, from some of our folks in the community as well as here uh, from the office and the Dungeons & Dragons team. Uh, Some of them will be at GameHellCon in Madison, Wisconsin, broadcasting live from there, uh, including Mike Merles, Chris Lindsay, Chris Perkins, uh, Satine Phoenix, Rudy Rutenberg, uh, and uh, Richard Witters, I think, will also be there. Uh, There'll be tons of folks. So uh, we'll be broadcasting Casting back and forth between here and there. You can donate to our Extra Life pages. Go to extralife.com uh, uh, and search for me. Search for – do you have a – you don't have a page. You don't, you, know, you hate kids. I uh, do not. I all the other Dungeons & Dragons team, I keep guilting them How about it. You. And they need to – well, you can have a page. I'm not here that weekend. How dare you? I would have loved You don't have to be it. in the physical place to raise you, money for I'm children. I'm going to Palm Springs with my girlfriend. Well, you're really making this, this sound better I, for this, you. This has been planned for a long time. Before kids needed – to <laughs> Way before. <laughs> I have made donations. I have donated to the cause. Her time and energy, just not on that weekend. Right. Uh, so you can combat uh, uh, the absence of Shelly's support by going to tor- the DMs Guild uh, and buying the Tortle package. It's up It's up there right now. We've raised tons of money so far. All, a lot of the proceeds for Wizards of the Coast will go towards uh, uh, this Extra Life campaign. You get to play as a Tortle. You can't go wrong there, right? Uh, there's also one growing above. I'm sorry. I was, t- I was joking with you. It's a nice segue. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, one growing above. You can also get that in the Dungeon Masters Guild. Chris Lindsay put it up there. It's how you can play as a grung in your home campaign. And it helps the kids. So uh, a grung package is 5 bucks, and I think the total package is 10 bucks. Can't go wrong there. There's a there's a, uh, a T-shirt that you can get also yes. designed by Emmy Tanji, uh, which is 25 bucks, and all those proceeds go towards uh, this total as well. And then as we get more and more up there, we will unlock more previews from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which is coming out in game stores November 10th, out wide everywhere November 21st. Uh, it is a very cool uh, supplement that has... Tons of information on playing new subclasses within uh, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition framework. Uh, each class has at least two subclasses, new ones to it. Uh, 27 new ones in total. We're printing four from other sources uh, as well. 
tons of stuff in there, new spells, new Dungeon Master uh, uh, things that you can try out. It's a great book. Um, the a, uh, alternate cover is only available in game stores on November 10th, designed by Hydro 74, but you can get the regular cover, which is also a really badass cover, uh, everywhere uh, after those supplies run out. Uh, Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms is an awesome game. Check it out on Steam Early Access. You can play as the Force Grey Lost City of Omu characters. Speaking of which, they are in um, every Monday night at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And there's going to be a special show November 18th in Brooklyn. You can get tickets to go see it in if you're in the New York area. Uh, you might even be able to do a special high-priced package in which you can get a copy of Xanathar's Guide to Everything before anybody else can. Whoa. Uh, well, actually, that's not true because other people will have it out by then. So you won't get it before anyone else can. But you will get a copy of that book, which is pretty cool. Uh, with the package. The 19th? Is that Saturday No, or it's Monday? 18th. 18th, 18th is a Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, because okay. um, yeah, it's the same weekend as PAX Unplugged. Right, so 17th. you're going to be at PAX Unplugged. I'm going to be at PAX Unplugged. Are you going to be there? Yeah. What are you going to do there? Just wander. Yeah, you got, there's no reason for you to be there? I'm going to do some um, uh, betrayal at Baldur's Gate demos. Nice. Yep, in the D&D area. Demo it up. Demo it up. People are going to love it. Maybe talk about some stuff. Nice. That would be really cool to talk about. <laughs> we're dropping hints left and right nobody knows what we're talking about Vague but we know we're vaguing we're, we're vague. vague not voguing <laughs> well, we're vaguing and voguing Vaguing, voguing. Uh, Tales from Candlekeep, Tomb of Annihilation is also possible. It is the digital version of this board game that we'll be talking to Kevin about today. Uh, it has got some uh, uh, fun stuff. It's more of a single-player uh, way to play the Tomb of Annihilation game uh, and interact with that, so it's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, and you can get better and better. It's but got tons of replayability. Just want to get away and do some tactical Dungeons and Dragons play. That's what Tales from Camp to Keep Tomb of Annihilation can do for you. It's on Steam right now. Uh, go check it out. It's at a much lower price point. You can follow them at Tales Candle Keep. Um, and uh, I think that's everything I'm going to hit today. Oh, good for right? you. Right? We want to get you on out of here. Yes. Let's do it. All, all right. right. Well, first of all, we can't do it right now because we've got to do a segment. Can we do a segment first? Totally. Bing and bong it up. Make it happen. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. I am your host, Greg Tito. I am joined by Lore Master. Matt Surratt. We are here to talk about a little Dungeons & Dragons lore bit uh, that has been around for a very long time called the Astral Plane. Yes, it has. And what we talk about today, you can use in your game. You can use it to just learn more about what happens in the... I guess this is more of just not a Forgotten Realm-specific thing since there's Astral Planes all over the world in Dungeons & Dragons, but... We uh, uh, like to get to the, to the bottom of where these things came from, and, uh, and uh, hopefully you can use it in your game. So the astral plane, uh, was, where was it first mentioned? So um, I think, I'm, I'm not 100% positive, but I think it was first mentioned in Eldritch Wizardry, okay. which is uh, like an original D&D um, sort of supplement booklet. And uh, I think that might have been in the white box. I don't recall now. Mm. Um, but and it's it's not it's not a a whole thing yet. But it's a it's definitely a concept that's there. And so basically, there's there's this the spell uh, astral projection. And when you do this, you um, you know uh, you go to the astral plane. And there are things there that um, interact with the astral plane. So it says, for example, that demons can uh, operate in the astral plane and Medusa and basilisks can gaze into it, etc. 
Oh, that's good to know. That's uh, an important yeah, yeah. rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They can just gaze into it. Um, and Meaning that, like, if you're actually projecting in this edition that, that they can freeze you or turn you to yes, stone. Yes, yes, they can turn you to stone. Like, like, somehow they can just see into the astral plane and, and just do it. Uh, and, you know, you're, it's got the whole thing with your astral body being connected to your physical body with a silver cord, um, which is still works. That's how the spell works um, to this day. Mm-hmm. And then if you uh, get the cord broken, you're dead, and there's psychic winds and all this kinds of stuff. I mean, all of the, the basic elements of what the astral plane is all about are there. Um, the, the astral plane... So let's talk about what those are, yeah. Yeah, right, what yeah, is it? Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> immediately I'm like, oh, so is it is it different than the material plane? Oh, is it the same? Yes. How much? So... Um, Nowadays, and, and in most of the previous editions, uh, the astral plane is a sort of silvery void, um, which is sort of the connecting element, let's say, between the material plane where all the worlds and planets are and the realms of the gods. So um, hmm. it is this sort of connective tissue of where like like when a soul leaves the world where does it, does it go it doesn't like fly up into the air right what happens to it um and assuming it doesn't become a ghost because that's something different uh <laughs> <laughs> we'll cover that later uh it's it basically transfers over into the astral. From the astral, it will go on to wherever else it might go. I see. And in ba- various worlds, that happens in different ways, and you know, various deities do different things, and so on and so forth. But um, so the astral is sort of this space of um, thought. It is a, pl- a sort of a, a plane of thought and spirit. Interesting. And it's this weird silvery void in which, if you come as a living person. Uh, you don't have to eat or drink, and you don't really age, and you just can kind of just hang out in the astral and read books, I guess, watch Netflix, um, <laughs> and chill. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then there's not much out there except for um, occasionally there are bodies of dead gods, uh, big stone petrified bodies of dead gods from some time that got killed, and. There are things called color pools, and color pools are essentially gateways to other planes, mm-hmm. and they have different colors depending on which plane they go to, and they generally go to the outer planes and the material plane. And so, oh, so the astral plane can be really used as like a, a a way to get from point A to point B, like a substation, right? And one of the things that you can do when you're astrally projecting is sort of use it to travel to another plane. It's a very strange way to do that, though. It's kind of dangerous because, I mean, it's mostly empty space and and, um, and nothing's really out there, mm-hmm. uh, except for occasionally there are the things that are out there, and when they are out there, they can cut your astral cord and kill you. So <laughs> there's there's things called astral dreadnoughts, which are these giant... They were on the cover of uh, the Manual of the Planes back in um, uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, and I think it was the manual planes, and uh, they—they're these massive uh, monsters that can sever um, your your silver cord, and they take great joy in doing that. Like that's that's one of the ways that they get their jollies is is finding people traveling around and severing their 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 cord or, or eating them. But are they native to the astral planes? Yes. How did that happen? No idea. 
then there's also the Githyanki, and they are um, they are not natives. They they well ish ish. Uh, so um, there is there is I think in Volos Guide to Monsters some speculation, and it might have appeared in previous editions as well, that the uh, Mind Flare Empire. Uh, that's sort of referred to as like once upon a time there was a mind flare empire, empire. They enslaved a people. Um, these were became the Gith and they rebelled. And the Gith Yankee stayed in the astral. And the Gazari went to um, the um, the plane of chaos. These stuff I'm forgetting at the moment. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, so there's some speculation essentially that maybe. The uh, Githyanki basically kicked the Mind Flayers out of the Astral. And so the uh, Mind Flayer Empire might have actually been in the Astral to a large degree, as well as being in worlds and stuff like that. How, so that's interesting because there, there's not a lot of mines in the Astral Plane, right? No, but there are those color pools. Uh-huh. And there are these things called spell jamming ships called nautiloids. And you could perhaps, say, dominate an entire world of human beings on a plane and basically farm it for brains. Oh, and, and then take them back to the astral yeah. plane, and that was like their... Yeah. How they, how they operated. Right. Interesting. Okay. Um, wh- so, going back to like what the astral plane actually is, you said it's kind of like this empty place. I'm, I'm imagining white. Is it, is it white a lot? Yeah, it's described as, as silvery. So, I mean, I, I often imagine kind of like, you know, uh, the, the way that a foggy day can look kind of bright in some spots of the sky and, yeah. and dark in others. Yeah. Like that, but with more silver. <laughs> and, and Foggy makes sense. Yeah. I, I could see that. I, that seems to be uh, you know the right the right feel, I yeah. guess, for it. Does it have uh, mirror images of what's on the material plane, nope. or is it just it's it's completely its own thing? Big open void. So now, in, I should say, in fourth edition, it was turned into the astral sea, and then it was like a physical silver body of water? Question mark that on you which say that? <laughs> so like a plane, like yeah, an actual yeah. like okay, there's a flat surface, and then there were then there were sort of islands of of habitation uh, in the astral sea, mm-hmm. um, and uh, in the Great Wheel cosmology, it's not it's it's really this sort of more just infinite plane of weird thought and so on. Uh, I should say one of the ways that you you get around is by thinking. So. You just kind of think where you want to go, and you superman off whichever direction you want to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want to walk, uh, you, you can do that too, um, especially if you're on like uh, one of those dead god bodies or whatever. There's sort of localized gravity and stuff like that. I see. Um, and you, according to DMG in 5th edition, uh, that's basically, I think it's three times your intelligence score. So if you're, if you're a dummy, you're slower. <laughs> You literally can't think as yeah. fast as everyone else can. Yeah. All right, I so like you, that. Yeah. Um, but if you're, I, I seem to remember the idea that you could go in, you could project yourself into the astral plane and then get back into the material world yes. at a different location. Yeah, you're not or, tied to, or travel to other planes. And right. so, you, my understanding of that is essentially that your uh, physical body stays behind. <clears throat> and yeah. you take your, you run off, and you got your astral body, yeah, and the cords behind you. And then when you make the transition through one of those uh, color wheels, then 
you embody in that other world or other plane. A new body. I think so. Interesting. So, but your old body would still be catatonic right. on the material plane. Right. Interesting. So that's that was always why like you wanted to do it in a safe place where your body is protected right. and you know you can't just do it in a dungeon or you can but it's a super risky move to do that. Well, and one of the things with um, a Sarak, hey, uh, friend over, yeah, <laughs> um, is Love that it. in the original Tomb of Horrors, uh, his. Um, he sort of assumed to be just kind of gone off and done that. Like his his body is kind of these bones and dust because he's left and he's like, yeah, screw this. I'm, I'm astrally projecting and I don't care about the world anymore. So, uh, so that's why he can kind of go between planes and yeah. is, is, is that kind of a character with that much power. And that makes sense. Um, the astral plane, oh, I should say the astral plane is also the place where somehow... Uh, it's presumed that, uh, like, little uh, demiplanes or pocket dimensions and stuff like that are. Although I don't know how that works. Like, this, this sort of idea that, like, if you reach into a bag of holding, you know, where's that extra space coming from? And the answer the D&D gives is that extra space is coming from the astral plane. But then, like, I don't know that there's some place on the astral plane which just has, like, your stuff floating in a clump somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe there is. I don't know what that means. Um, but that's that's the idea. With well, that'd that. be a good uh, uh, adventure, uh, right? Like, hey, somebody's got, you know, somebody, something that the party needs in a bag of holding somewhere. I know how we can get it. We'll go to the astral plane. Go to the astral plane <laughs> and find yeah. where the pocket of, of stuff is uh, that yeah. is needed, right? I'm imagining a row of, like, lockers or something like that. <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Cool. Uh, all right. So what about a portable hole? Does that also go to the astral plane? Presumably it works somewhat the same way again because it's, it's kind of like this extra-dimensional space. And those extra-dimensional spaces are kind of assumed to be somehow part of the astral plane. Mm-hmm. Although how that works doesn't really make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Because there's also, I, I think there's, there's present in, in various texts that like that's, n- that that's not true, that they're just, they just make spaces. Mm. And it's just magical, so screw it. Um, so, you know, you can play it one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. What about, uh, so the, you mentioned dead gods and, and those are, these bodies are just kind of there. Um, are they like, Colossi? Is that why they're so big? Or is that just the idea that, oh, they're gods, so therefore they have large representations of themselves in the astral plane? That's basically the presumption, yeah. yeah. That they, um, and so, for example, Githyanki live on a, a big dead god that um, is kind of... It, it, I mean, it doesn't look like it was human. It, it looks like it maybe it had six arms, legs, question mark. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, you know, it's uh, a big punk rock that they kind of live on and in. And then there's other ones that are, you know, like it's just a giant severed floating head of rock floating through the astral plane and stuff like that. Okay, so this begs the question, are there living gods in the astral plane? Why And why, if not, why are there dead bodies of gods in the astral plane? Right. Okay, the why are there dead bodies of the gods in the astral plane is, I think, because where does a dead god go when they die? Well, they're transferred through the astral from wherever they are in the other places, and then they don't 
go the material so maybe they just kind of get left over right they, they have nowhere to go but the astral kind of if you get my if you get my meaning sure sure i guess you kind of have to think a lot about like how a god could die and anyway, right. i'm, I'm, mixing, right. I'm well, mixing up whether this is forgotten realms well, gods it, versus it, i don't know that you know our own monotheistic re- yeah. religion where there's no <laughs> such idea of like a god ceasing to be uh, right in 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 you know in in earth history right there's not really a lot of what happens to that because it doesn't happen well, uh well, so no, like i mean there, this is all there, kind of there fantasy are, there there's plenty of mythology where gods are killed um north mythology north no, mythology you're right mine is um one thing but uh you know, like what happens to them after that is well, whatever. We don't, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's just that story about that god that got killed. So yeah, so yeah he's hey. dead now. <laughs> um, um, or yeah. not, or we keep on worshiping because because that's their gods and that's what we do. You know. Right. Um, but so so then go back to the other part of the question: Are there alive gods in the astral? Plane? So I would have to look that up um, because the one of the things that happened in especially in Planescape uh, is that. A lot of gods are sort of given homes to go to. So um, the vast majority of them are in the outer planes. They're in the abyss. They're in the outlands. They're in, you know, um, Mount Celestia, all those places. And, uh, you know, they're sort of assumed to have um, a home on that plane that is somehow theirs and separate from whatever the rest of the plane is. And so... You know, uh, Chronepsis is this uh, dragon god of uh, longevity and time. And he's out in the outlands somewhere uh, where um, he's surrounded by, like, a horde of clocks and um, hourglasses and other watches and timekeepers. Mm. And he's just this weird dragon sitting on a horde of timekeeping pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, are those things counting the dragon's lifetimes or something? That, I, yeah, it sounds like what they're doing. That sounds a cool, cool idea. Yeah, right, I'm on <laughs> um, But, you know, uh, some gods are placed in stranger places like the uh, various elemental planes and stuff like that, particularly if they're really associated with the elemental planes. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of any gods offhand that are directly associated with the astral. Maybe Ptah? But... Yeah, I'd have to look it up. <laughs> Shah. Are those two? Those are those are twin gods, right? Patah and <laughs> Pasha. 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 <laughs> what is what is Patah? So um, Patah is sort of like this over god of the pseudo Egyptian pantheon. Oh, okay. And he's like this. Uh, he's like the. Um, boat driver through the stars for the whole pantheon like he kind of like steers the ship and he's sort of the over god in in a way that kind of the way that AO is sort of and um, yeah so he's he's a thing got it Uh, is AO of the astral plane now that you mentioned him Who knows? So um, the idea of over gods in the Avatar Crisis and AO uh, is is really something that came up in the, that series of novels and hasn't been explored much since. Mm. Uh, if you think about other pantheons, like, um, say, the celestial bureaucracy in Carter, mm-hmm. um, there is the implication that there are, um, because it's this bureaucracy, that there's somebody at the top and there's somebody up there. And... Um, you know, there, there isn't 
for example, any references that I'm aware of that when the Avatar crisis happened, all of the gods of the celestial bureaucracy got thrown down into the world and were mucking about for no reason, right? Yeah. Like, Ao got mad at a very specific group of deities. and it's like, you get out of here. <laughs> right. Right. And it was dealing with them. Uh, although that has, like, later stories have kind of spread, you know, so that we have the idea that there might be elven or dwarven gods that were down on the earth during that at period. At the same time. Which is kind of weird because he was really specifically angry at kind of the more or less human pantheon at the time. So Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we strayed a little bit from the astral, as as you know, we are sometimes want to do because these questions will we just go places. We went through a color pool. Yeah, we went through a color pool into into Faerun and ended up there. Uh, but uh, so if people were going to use the astral plane, you know, uh, uh, as as a location in their thing, or just you know, hey, a, a, a wizard in your in your party starts using astral projection a lot more. Um, we, what are what are some of the the potential pitfalls and or good story hooks? Things I think can... one of the coolest things is Githyanki. So because they uh, have to live, or well, not have to, but because they do live in the astral plane and it's a timeless realm where they don't have to eat and sleep and all this other stuff, yeah. uh, they can't actually produce young um, in that world in in the astral. Yeah. Um, so they go down and oddly enough lay eggs. Um, and have basically creches where they secretly raise and train their young to then go back and, um, you know, live in the astral. So one of the things they have to do is, as a sort of rite of passage is go and kill uh, a mind flayer. Mm. And so you have to imagine that all over your campaign world that you didn't even know that these things were there. There are these hidden creches of Githyanki super warriors Training to be super warriors to go out and kill their first mind flare and like yeah. how many of them survive? You know, it's this weird sort of like they're like these teams of people trying to, you know, go and fight the alien right in aliens, and um, the the fact that they're out there and hidden someplace is just super cool. They, I mean, because they have to do things, they still have to eat, they have to do all the normal stuff that people do. And so you have to imagine that they, they're doing this in secret and, you know, maybe they – if they get spotted, they have to kill the person who spotted them and stuff like that. And so you can imagine a way that, like, you kind of learn about this group of people. Now, how do they get to and from the astral? Yeah. Right? Well, they probably have to go through a color pool someplace in the world, over the world, somewhere – using the astral dreadnoughts or astral ships that Githyanki use in the astral because they fly around in the astral on these weird ships. Different than the dreadnoughts that are the bad ones that clip your... Right. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> so, you know, they might, they might, you know, fly into the world essentially at some point yeah. and pick up the, the new recruits or fly into the world and drop off supplies or something like that. And so, you know, your characters could find out these things or stow away or get captured or... You know, all kinds of crazy things can happen. It's a neat way to introduce at least the, the, the whole concept yeah. somehow. Red dragons, too, are allies of Githyanki. So, like, there might be in your campaign some red dragon with PCs fight. And you, as sort of like a, um, a way of opening that door is, you know, you get there and there's a Githyanki crash in with the red dragon. Like, what are these guys doing there? Right. Yeah. You know, and maybe the red dragon flies Githyanki up through a color pool or something like that into the astral. And so then you can find that gateway and... That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I feel like there's a lot more with uh, the gith that I want to unpack. Yeah, they're after fun. After all this. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Fun. Cool. Thank you. Uh, and also, I mean, I'm only three episodes into the latest season of 
uh, I think we're in the same st- spot. Stranger Things. Yeah, we're in the same spot. And part of me is thinking, oh, after a couple of things that you've said uh, already uh, about what potentially D and D references are within that season. So we'll see. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at you, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's trying not to, to, to spoilerize. Uh, if people have questions about uh, the astral plane or, or, or any lore in general, where can they get in touch with you? At Cernet on Twitter, S-E-R-N-E-T-T. Nice. And with that, they're going to ask you about, you know, uh, Tolkien and everything. <laughs> any, any lore ever, uh, <laughs> go to Matt. He knows. He's the master. Uh, cool. Thank you. I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, too. Feel free to ask me any questions, and I'll send you to Matt. <laughs> uh, and that's it for this uh, Laurie Chanel. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next week with another fun segment. segment really just uh, uh, I feel like I know more and I I, want to learn like additional information inspiring yeah like you want to follow up and get to know more what more it's like click to learn more yes from Starship Troopers where is the click to learn more I think you can do it right here on the Twitch you can just click so good I know right Right. you know you can watch us record these live on twitch.tv slash D&D why wouldn't you do you watch have you watched it yet no no but you can out there uh, and you can subscribe for only five bucks on our Twitch channel and all that, all those stuff also goes to improving all the programming on here. Once I was looking for an, no, but my God, subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) You were going to go straight into anecdote and I I interrupted you. I was going to, uh, I was looking for another video on Twitch and archived and I saw like a screen grab of this, of Dragon Talk. And I was like, oh God, no. You couldn't look at it? I just saw like this like slouchy, hunchback, bad posture thing. Oh, yeah, is that what you, did you think I looked like and that? And then I saw me. <laughs> <laughs> Which was glorious and... So it was like angels singing. There was like yellow light, a halo behind oh, you. I could barely see my face for that glowing You have a very angelic costume on right now. I, I don't think it, you won't be able to, you know, see it in podcast I don't in think it's probably form. translating. You well. can only get it on the Twitch, So right? that's another reason to subscribe to Twitch. Exactly, because you can see it in all of its glory. Right. Exactly. And Greg is wearing a, is a figure skating costume. It's true. From his days. Yeah, that Nathan is going to Photoshop me on a figure skating costume. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, you can always watch us there, uh, but in the meantime, we're going to call up uh, uh, Kevin Wilson and talk about his design of the Tomb of Annihilation board game right about now. Okay. Hello? Hello. How's it going, Kevin? I'm good. How are you? Good. So sorry for calling you, what, a half hour later, as Things happen. We get behind schedule. Even with one interview, we're behind schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, no worries. It's one of the fun things we do, right, Shelley? That's right. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> Howdy. So where where are we calling you from? Where are you? I'm in the Twin Cities. Ah, uh, yes. Nice. Minneapolis. St. Paul. That's where the Twins play <laughs> in baseball. <laughs> what's, the, what's going on there in the Twin Cities? Oh, not a ton right now. It's just uh, starting to get cold, basically. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so As we it should. we are calling you because you uh, design your name is on the box. For I'm, we're looking at it right now. The Tomb of Annihilation board game uh, made by WizKids. Oh yeah. How was it like uh, uh, working on that? It was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was kind of a, a fulfillment of a long time. You know, goal of mine, a dream of mine that I'd had for many years. Oh, that's cool. What I was that? Get to, uh, I always, I always wanted to do something 
officially Dungeons and Dragons with my name oh. on it. So nice. Well, you nailed it. Cross I'm a couple of things that off D&D the list. logo and your name very close together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, to work for WizKids. <laughs> it's good working with them. Uh, Zev's a nice guy, and they yeah. were all nice for me. I've heard a lot of good things about Zev as well. Is Zev the? Because uh, uh, I've talked, we've talked to Justin Zoran mm-hmm. here on uh, the podcast. Is what is what mm-hmm. capacity does Zev work? He's does he manage uh, the Zev board was, games? I think. Uh, I think so. He was rumors. he was my uh, he was my contact on the project, and he does a lot of the board game stuff there. So sweet. Uh, does he is he a developer? or Is he just a uh, uh, you know getting it ready to go? Uh, it seemed like he, he seemed, I think he's doing development work there, and uh, he's just does. There's a lot of stuff there. So, or as Mike Merles says, implementer. He yeah. calls it the 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 game implementer. The implementer. We're gonna work. Uh, game implementer. All yeah. Right. Instead of developer, he just didn't like that that term for various reasons. But yep. uh, it makes uh, sense. I like it. I like because they're, they're the people who take the initial design uh, and then and, and and make it right, make it real. So yeah. you were the uh, initial designer uh, on something like this, right? Right. Um, of course, I'm not the designer of the actual system. Uh, that's been around for several uh, previous releases already. So um, I made the most of the content for it in this version of it, basically. Right. I guess that's true. Than different than a lot of other board games, where you you know you're not necessarily working within a framework. You're 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 you know creating some new mechanics. But in this, like the mechanics were all generally there, and then you could iterate upon them. Right. Exactly. So for folks who don't know about the uh, adventure system, uh, how would you describe it to them? Um. Well, it's uh, it's sort of like uh, having a dungeon master that's run by a deck of cards, kind of. Mm. Um, and the board game is you you explore, you go through there, and you're kind of uh, on a timer, sort of in the game. In that, the slower you go, the more bad things happen. <laughs> um, and so you have to hurry up, but at the same time, every time you hurry up, more monsters appear, and so you're becoming overwhelmed by that. And that's not so the bad sort things of, uh, that would happen? No, there's other bad things. <laughs> no, that seems different, pretty bad. Different bad, things. different bad things. Well, you're choosing which flavor of bad thing you want to deal with right. at the time. So. Um, but it's it's more about the tactical elements of D&D. And uh, it's a dungeon masterless game. So it's you know it's got some versatility and some, some, mm-hmm. uh, some different strengths as a result of that. And being an adventure system game, does that make it makes it playable with the other adventure system games like uh, Temple of Elemental Evil or Castle Ravenloft or Wrath of a Shardalon? Uh, yeah, it's it's compatible with those. It might take a little bit of work in places, but it's it uses the same core system, and so most things are easily compatible. And some need a little bit of work. Very cool. What uh, other than, of course, the content being you know Tomb of Annihilation theme? There's Rosnisi on the box. All the miniatures and monsters are uh, are all from there. But are there any different mechanics uh, from that that you that you introduced in, into this version? Uh, yeah, I had a couple of a uh, couple of fairly fun elements they got to introduce um, uh, because of the uh, the ultimate bad guys in the scenario. Of course, in the in the campaign, um, I introduced a spell deck which is basically a way for the monsters in the game to cast spells at the players for the most part. Because mm. um, you want you want something like that in the in there for, you know, various uh, uh, various uh, big bads I won't name here, just in case it's a spoiler. You can name I them. I can't I'm, imagine. I, he's, well, he's, you know, a, he's up on the wall behind us, so I think people... Uh, all right, fair enough. 
But um, Bob Azarak, uh, we call him, right? <laughs> so people don't get. But him. um, but you know, he needed to be able to to unleash a big uh, hail of spells at the players and such. So I really, I, I made made a system for that to happen. Um, and I kind of combined several of the er, of the trap systems from the earlier uh, board games into one system to kind of make it to where it was. There were some simpler traps, and then there's some more complicated traps as well. Uh, because of course, with Tomb of Annihilation, there's a lot of traps uh, involved, especially in the tomb itself. A f- mm. few, maybe one or two. Yeah. And uh, the other fun thing I got to do was that I got to introduce a couple of new classes to the the game that hadn't been done in the adventure system before. So there's a bard and a druid in there. So. Oh, that is neat. Yeah, I played with uh, uh, what's your name, Birdsong, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh. Yeah, it's nice to have some support characters, you like some the bards. Tabaxi. I do like, and I like a bard. So it was like this perfect. Because uh, you're a make, theater person. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Everybody drink. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, what was it like? I mean, how, did you know what your what characters you were going to start with when you started playing, or did you come up with that through play? Um, it was partly I. I you know, uh, WizKids kind of sent me a list of the miniatures that were going to be out, and I kind of had to work within a certain framework, had to use the miniatures that they knew they were going to do. Um, but at the same time, I had kind of free reign within that. Um, and once I saw that there was a bard in there, I knew I wanted to do a bard for sure. Um, again, that's one of my, my favorite classes that I like. Yeah. And it just it hadn't been done before, so I thought there was a, a, a place I could like explore the mechanics a little bit. Um, and of course, you know, when you, when you read through all the materials for the, for the campaign, you know, uh, artist Simber and, uh, dragon bait are in there a lot. And I really wanted to get them in. Um, there's a couple of my, my favorite old forgotten realm characters. Did you read uh, ring of winter and a lot of the novels that were set in Schultz back in oh, the yeah. 90s? Back, back in the nineties, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. What is your history with D and D? Uh, How did you get playing, started playing? Well, I haven't I haven't been playing many of the newer editions, but I did start when I was about eight years old hmm. um, with the the old Red Box yep. uh, for for Basic Edition, and uh, played up through college, um, played through Third Edition, and mostly just because I've been busy with board games is why I haven't continued to role play as much these days. Hmm. But that's just you know my professional career. I don't have as much time that to to do the other stuff these yeah. days. Did your D and D history kind of inform your your career path? Is that why you became a game designer? Uh, yeah, originally I worked on role playing games over at uh, Alderac Entertainment Group, and uh, eventually I kind of moved over into board games. Yeah, you have a a lot of um, credits to your name that I was I I I didn't know, and I was. Doing a little background on you, um, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, Shelly, Shelly paid for an FBI background." I did. On you. Yep. Uh, we need and to all talk that came about... back were all of your game design. Yeah, cards. it was so weird. Like, live a little, Kevin. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> no, you have a lot of impressive titles. Um, what? How did you get into this uh, industry? Um, I used to work uh, part time at a game store originally, uh, and I was doing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign there, and I had like a Kinko's book. <laughs> uh, that I put together for my campaign, and my players would all get a copy of it when they played it. And it was the Isles of Treachery, 
mm-hmm. uh, which is like this piratey uh, tropics campaign. It's a good title. And it so happened that a, a certain RPG company was working on a pirate-themed RPG at the time, and one of the regulars at the store was a graphic designer there. Oh. And he recommended to me that I should try and do an internship with them. And I did, and I got into the industry. Uh, and, you know, that's that's kind of been where I've been ever since. Internship, that's where it's at. <laughs> Game store, retail. It's like too. this crazy backdoor uh, oh, way to get in, right? Yep. Right place, right time, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This was just a lucky break. That is cool. So you've, but you've been doing more board game design since then. What what do you think are the differences between like an RPG design and and, and board game design for your brain? Uh, well, it's it's uh, a board game. You're you're taking a much more active role in presenting the experience to the players. I think in a lot of ways with with a role playing game, I was always more about trying to create a framework for players to make their own stuff within as much as possible but but yeah. board games are kind of more uh, a little bit more preset not not completely but you know they don't have that same kind of freewheeling thing that the rpgs have freewheeling i like that i feel like i would want as a game designer to be I freewheeling mean, no i would actually i would want the board game something that's a little bit more structured huh. i don't know yeah but Maybe that's again, why you if, work on board games. I don't know, because I listen to them talk, board mm-hmm. game designers, and I'm like, woo, over my head. There's a lot of crazy stuff you have to... <laughs> is it, like, and especially this is a board game that's playable with one person up to, what is it, five people? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to me, that scale just seems like that's just complicated. How are you making a game that for one person or three people or five people are all going to enjoy? How do you do it? <laughs> Well, again, like in this case, it was uh, it was mostly all set up for me ahead of time, thankfully. Um, scaling is always for a different number of players can can be tricky. So, um, but I was glad it was already it was already put together for me. I've had to do it a couple times. Yeah. And a lot of times I've cheated and just said, you know, well, use four heroes or whatever, you know. Right. Four only four. <laughs> so, how did you get involved in this project? Did we talk about that? Not yet. Let's talk about that. They said, hey, Kevin. We know. We got a game for uh, you. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, Zev just approached me and asked me if I wanted to work on the next Dungeons & Dragons board game. And I was like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> so what, you and Zev have worked together in the past, or how did he, how did he know to come to you? Um, well, we're, we're, we've known each other in the game industry in the past. Um, I've pitched him a couple games here and there. And, you know, he's he's a friendly guy. He knows a lot of people uh, just in general. And we've run into each other at conventions and things like that. Mm-hmm. So do you work independently or are you part of, do you have your own company or what? Uh, well, I used to work for Fantasy Flight Games for about 10 years. But oh, okay. for the last five years, I've been freelance. Uh, so I have my own sort of one-man company and I just consult for other companies now and design games for them. Oh, great. So what are some of your favorite board games out there? Uh, let's see. My favorite board games. Uh, my group really enjoys, and I really enjoy, uh, Battle Stations 2, second, second edition. Uh, Battle Stations a lot of fun. It's sort of like Star Trek in a box. Um, we play a lot of Cosmic Encounter. 
that's a game that's been around forever and mm-hmm. is just really a lot of fun and very chaotic and fun. Um, I also uh, really enjoy an older game called uh, El Grande, mm-hmm. uh, which is a uh, kind of one of the earlier European style board games. Um, and it really is just very tightly put together and it's very, it's just kind of uh, one of those games that you just have to admire the craftsmanship on it. It's a board game designer's board game. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. Uh, so back to the Tomb of Annihilation board game. Uh, what, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this, have all the adventure systems games said that you can play with one player? I think so. Have they? I think so. Yeah. I think that's kind of a selling point for yeah. a lot of folks because I, I know mm-hmm. people who, you know, it's hard for them to get together a D&D camp, you know, campaign. It's hard for them to even get, you know, a group of people to do, you know, playing board games in general. And, and here's a way that you can go through the scenarios and, and, and uh, uh, make some tactical decisions without needing, you know, uh, opponents or even cooperative folks with you. I- yeah, they... Uh- they have a they have an interesting system in there where it, it drives the way the monsters work and they kind of move from tile to tile as opposed from space to space, which kind of simplifies how they operate, right. which actually makes it all hold together, I think, in a nice way. Yeah. I think it's also a good introduction to D&D as well. It's kind of, it gives you like the flavor and the feeling of being in a D&D world and playing a D&D character, but not... It takes some of the mystique away. Yeah, right. I mean, and then, you know, the trade-off is that you don't have as much story or role-playing right. stuff going on, but you do get to embody that character yeah. and have some kind of, you know, dramatic moments where you need to roll the 20 in order to defeat the monster at the right moment or everybody's going to die. Yeah, it's a, bit more, die. it's a bit more bite-sized. You don't, like I said, you don't quite have the open range of possibilities with the role-playing game, but, but there's, more, uh, there's more to keep you on track, I guess, more rails to keep you going. So, did you ever in your uh, D&D history encounter the Tomb of Horrors? Oh, yeah. We, we went through it once. How did that go? Once. Once. <laughs> yeah, it, it, didn't go, it didn't go well. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, like, yeah, I went through it. The, uh, Dungeon Masters. Fine. Dungeon oh, Masters yeah. are like, oh, God, it's so much fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. Did you put your hand in the, uh, uh, the green devil face? The fog? Thankfully, no. That wasn't, that wasn't my character anyways. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so are you going to get back into D&D now that uh, you've had your appetite wet again? I will have to see. I do like the, the looks of the 5th edition stuff. It's more a matter of just finding time these days. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a new project that you're working on right now that you probably can't talk about? <laughs> Shelly's trying to just hire say yes you. Or no. She's trying to hire you. She's are you busy right now? <laughs> <laughs> We got this pitch for you. What are you doing for the next nine months? <laughs> well, I usually I I usually put a game out every two months or so. Actually, what? These days. What? Yeah. Just you? How are you doing this? I just I keep busy. But how are you? How do you keep coming up with? I mean, with all the board games that are coming out there, I remember seeing some statistic about like how many games were even board games were on Kickstarter at any given time, and it was. Some crazy number. Yeah. And a lot of them get made, and a lot of them, like, it's a board game renaissance now. There's board games in every store. What? How do you keep the ideas coming, or how do you keep things fresh? Or is it really just, like, there's only, like, a really 
three really good ideas out there, but people keep iterating on those ideas. And like, what's the deal? It's a worker placement game set in Fantasia <laughs> with a die roll random mechanic. Right. I mean, at some point, are we going to run out of ideas? Like, what is? How are we making so many board games? Well, it's just uh, the, the the Kickstarter thing has kind of opened the floodgates a bit for folks. Just there's a lot more companies making games now, and a lot more companies are looking at board games as the place to be in the industry. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot more opportunity to make games. And as for coming up with ideas and stuff, I'm never I'm never short on ideas. I'm always short on time to make them. Honestly. Yeah. Wow, that's a good problem to have. Right. Yeah. Does it feel like you ever get like a little bit too like mashed up? Like like I mean, I was joking when I mentioned that, but it does feel like most board game pitches I hear now uh, are like similar to to movies, where it's like, yeah, hey, it's Die Hard meets you know, on, but on a train, you know, and like, it's, does it get <laughs> like that when you're talking about board games? And is that a bad thing? It can. Uh, I think that's just it's important to always a clear idea of what you're doing and, and make sure that there's always something that makes your games stand out basically and that could be like mechanics it can be a license it can be you know art it, you know it, it doesn't matter what it is or is it better? not really it's just as long as you have as long as you have a good idea what that hook is going to be i think mm. that's the main thing is it different for each concept yeah it, it changes from from game to game for sure cool so are, uh, you, are you mostly publishing games like through like do you work with publishers, existing publishers, or do you publish under your, your own company? Uh, I strictly work with, public, with okay. other publishers at this point. Um, I'm, I'm a game designer. I don't want to be a publisher myself. Oh, yeah. There's, that's a whole uh, bag of tricks you don't need to worry about. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's good just to focus on, on the game design itself. Yeah, Absolutely. Sorry, I was phasing out for a second because we're dealing with some sound things. So, no I apologize. Way. I was Shelly was running that show. What's happening? What were you guys talking about? I don't about? know. You're really pointing behind me. Like, what? Well, I think there's some there? sound. There's some sound bleed coming over. So I just want to make sure whoever's making the sound oh, that wasn't getting, that getting on the mics. I apologize for all of you on Twitch that you could barely hear something that might have happened over the microphones. <laughs> it happens. What's that? Oh, they're li- oh my God! We're both live. We're two live crew right now. Here, oh, good one! Here in the w- Wizard of the Coast office. Uh, all right, well then, game on. Uh, so that means we need to be louder <laughs> <laughs> and not stop talking the entire time. Uh, so, Kevin, what's your favorite? Uh, no, we already did that. Kevin, what's <laughs> <laughs> what's your what's what's a game pitch for a Dungeons and Dragons uh, board game that you've loved would love to see in the future? You can't. Ask them that. Is that is that a bad thing? Is that you, I don't know. No, because you can't. We don't answer that, Kevin. There's uh, really okay, do I won't. <laughs> I won't. I won't touch that one. Great. Well, we what know you're we, thinking about it. Yes. So that's a good question, but we just can't. On the mics. Yeah. 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 I guess I mean, that makes like, sense. What if he like pitched an idea and something we were already making, and then he's like, oh. "I pitched him that idea on Dragon Talk." Well, but, like, but if you <laughs> mail it to yourself. Does that <laughs> remember that? I think I've done that. Does that help? Oh, no. I mailed myself like a short story when I was seventeen. Yeah, like I copyrighted it. Somebody's gonna try to steal my work. No, I guess that's a good point. But I feel like there's such a, a there's there, the board games and Dungeons and Dragons have such crossover yeah. that there's like it's rife for for fun things. Yeah, like ba- Betrayal of Baldur's like Gate. Betrayal of Baldur's Gate is a good example. Yeah. Have you played that one, Kevin? It's been out for like I two weeks. Yet. I mean, come on. No, I haven't yet. No, sorry. <laughs> Well, I played the uh, the original game. It was ba- the the board game. It was based on Trail at House on the Hill. 
Yeah, I've played that a few times. Yeah. What do you think as a board game designer? I know it's like just rife with things that designers just want to like, oh, fix and pick (laughs) that, but... It's a fun game. It does. Uh, it has a lot of variety to all the different haunts and everything, and that's. I think that's a lot of fun. It's yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, what do you credit this whole like board game resurgence towards? Because I mean, it's it's kind of everywhere. Like we were saying, like Kickstarter, or you know, when you walk into Target, it has a huge board game display now. Barnes and Noble, like stores, Best Buy wants to get into board games and. I mean, there's board game cafes are on the rise. There's just everybody's playing board games. Now. There's all these podcasts about it. There's like podcasts. People are always talking about them. There's live streams of board games. What is happening? What What do you think is going on with, like, why are people putting their phones down and tablets down, except for Greg Tito, and playing <laughs> and playing board I, games again? Honestly, uh, I, I think it's that people are struggling and looking around for ways to to reconnect with each other. Yeah in a face-to-face manner and board games are a very nice structured way to do that whereas you know you may not have a place to go you may not have activities to do with your friends necessarily but here's something you can do and you can spend two hours doing it and you all know why you're going to be there and it gives you something to do while you're chatting and catching up on the latest news or whatever yeah. It, it just provides a, a framework to the evening, you know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's my reason, too. We're on the same page. <laughs> it's it's easy to drink while playing a board game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And or do other things. No. But yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned that you go to a lot of conventions, and I'm sure uh, a lot of people ask this, uh, but it, say people want to get into designing games. What's the, what's the advice that you would give them uh, to start their career off? Hmm. Uh, if you want to design games, my advice is, well, A, to play a lot of games, and B, to find games that upset you, that, that you think are not very good, and look at them and see how you would change them and how you would fix them. Mm. Um, it's a good way to get thinking in that kind of mindset. Um, and then other than that, I would also recommend that people make sure they study their probabilities, their mathematics like that, because it's at the core of everything you're going to do. It is. That's the part that I'm always fascinated by when I hear game designers talk. Yeah. Shouting out numbers and percentages and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I'm okay. That seems like your interpretation of their of their conversations. That's what they talk about. That's exactly <laughs> what they sound like. Robots. They're basically R two D two and C three PO. Yes, and they yeah. even move their arms in that weird way. <laughs> also, and then they just start dancing the robot like they're actually doing it. Yes, yeah. game designers are robots. I can see. Would that. you agree, Kevin? You are a robot. <laughs> Is that well, how you know? Is that how you got started? Was by taking a game that you know you wanted to improve the design on and make your heart house rules? And yes, it was Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and that's that is exactly how I got started. Was my house rule, my house rules for D anD D. Oh, it really was. Well, there you go. Yeah. What what were they? What were some of the fun rules? I uh, changed the way. Well, remember I was doing a like a pirate campaign at the time, uh, and so I changed the way armor worked in it, and I changed. Uh, the different races, the way they worked, and did a whole bunch of different stuff. I had that 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 Kinko's book was full of the house rules for the for the campaign. Do you, Do still, you still have, have... <laughs> Jinx? You owe us your Kinko's book. <laughs> Do you still have it? Do you still refer back to that as the 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 Bible for your your nascent pirate campaign that you're gonna 
you know, start up anytime now? <laughs> I, I do still have I do still have it. I keep it over my shelf there. Oh, that's nice. That is cool. So you can refer back to it. Are you still in touch with any of the people you used to play with? Occasionally, mostly on, you know, on social media, on Facebook or whatever. We'll chat once in a while. Yeah. Do they know what, what a big deal in the game design world you are now? <laughs> <laughs> Do they try to take credit for that? Like, if I didn't challenge you so much as a player, you never would have. <laughs> we made that house rule together. Now we, <laughs> you've stolen my idea. You, you should have mailed it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. So when you played D and D, were you no. always the dungeon master, or did you ever try just were as a player? What is that? Uh, I actually, I, I about half and half. I would say I, I DM'd a lot early on, and then I wanted being a player more often later on. Did you favor the bards? Uh, just I had less. I played a lot of bards, a lot of rogues, a couple of wizards. Huh. What was it about the bards that I you liked? Know. Uh, I like I like the support roles like that. That was, I, I I also liked the bard being the jack of all trades kind of character. It was a lot of fun. I yeah, think I have to try a bard. You should try a bard. People really seem to like the bard. The fifth edition bard is really fun. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it is still a support role, but it it has you know uh, uh, you can kit them out to be more you know basically as good of, as a, a as a fighter or as good as a wizard. Like you can make it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Do it. Uh, so for folks who want to, uh, uh, you know, try the Doom of Annihilation board game, what would you say is the, uh, the, the, the key selling points, as it were? Hmm. Um, well, let's see. Uh, like I said, there's the new... Uh, it, 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 it's, it's sort of like uh, a D&D campaign in a box. Uh, you don't need a dungeon master. Uh, if you've played the previous ones, there's now uh, spellcasting monsters, which is a new thing. Um... If you like the characters, uh, if you know Artist Simber or Dragon Bait, they're they're in there. They're a lot of fun. Um, and of course, my favorite thing is that I managed to work a uh, Wand of Wonder in there. So, ooh, cool! Oh, you worked a lot of cool stuff into the, this little box, this big box, actually. It's a huge. Box. Well, you know, I had to had to fit my my favorite D and D stuff in there where I could. So. Yeah, well, that's part of the deal, I I would imagine. Plus, you got all those minis too. So even if you don't, you know. You know, you play the board game, but you can always add the minis into your into your campaign as well. Oh yeah, there's a ton of stuff you can use if you're running role playing games. A little bit of everything. A little bit. Yep. Good Sweet. deal. Well, I've heard great great things about it, so we know it'll do well. It is doing well. It'll fly off the shelves. This is the one that there's a. It's digital too heavy version. though, so it'll be like a. Yeah, yeah. it'll be more like <laughs> off the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very big box. And worth it too. That's the cool part about it. You get so many components. You get so many uh, uh, inspiration points for uh, you know making your own stories. Cool. What's that? Something just cut out. Did we lose you? Are you there, Kevin? No. Oh, still okay. here. <laughs> awesome. So, where can people find out about you uh, online or uh, anywhere? Uh, do you have a website for for your 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 one stop shop here? Um, mostly these days I'm on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. uh, as uh, Kevin Wilson 42 or if you search for me on the Board Game Geek website, you'll find my stuff there. I do have a website, but it tends to stay a little out of date. For, yeah, I don't I don't get to it as much as I should. So nice. What kind did you use to blog on there about game design and stuff like that? Yeah, and then I just got so so busy I couldn't keep up with it. I feel like that happened to a lot of folks. It's, good. it's a good problem to have. 
right? With that proliferation of like blogs and stuff in the mid aughts, there everyone was like, "Yeah, let's go do it, let's go do it," and then they all kind of lie follow now. What but, is that? Is yeah. that a live journal and people use live to journal? Yeah. Right? Blogger. I was on Blogger. Yeah. Yeah, it was a thing. Huh. Yeah, but now, yeah, because of social media, you just you know you can update those things much much yeah. quicker and easier without having to have a, a long written out essay about game design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although those are fun too. Do you ever do any teaching? Is that something that um, interests you? Do you need an intern? <laughs> <laughs> I'm mostly uh, most of my teaching goes on at, at game conventions, or occasionally I'll like muse on game design on the on the Twitter there. Mm-hmm. So when you're at um, conventions, are you doing like, talks and panels about game design and whatnot? Yeah, a lot of the time when I'm there, that's that's what I'm doing. Oh, or cool. Running demos of games, that kind of thing. Got any of those coming up? Uh, yeah, next month I'll be at uh, BGGCon. Oh, oh that, is that in, where is that? It's in uh, it's Dallas, I think. Yeah. Dallas, Fort, Fort Worth, somewhere around there. Okay, cool. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Awesome. Well, uh, people in that area, look for, uh, for, for Kevin Wilson and pick his brain about, gosh, I mean, you're making a board game every two months. That's a lot of board games. I know. <laughs> That's a good uh, production line you got going on there. Seriously. Awesome. I've been doing it for about 20 years now, so I've been, I got practice doing it, so. Nice. Well, we're really excited you were able to take the time and do uh, uh, this Tomb of Annihilation board game. I think it's got a lot of the great things about the adventure in there, too, and a lot of good things about the adventure system, so it's a good, it's a good mix. Yep. Well, thank you. Cool. Thank you. Well, good talking to you, uh, and uh, we will catch up with you uh, when you design the next board game that has Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> on it, and you can cross it off. It's probably going to be in like five months. Five months, you, right. The way you roll. Yeah, <laughs> we'll cross your, another thing off the bucket list off your list then, too. <laughs> All right. I've always Thank dreamed of having much. two products that have my name on it. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Kevin. Take it easy. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, thanks for having me on. Right, sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Two a month? I mean, every two months? Every two months, getting a board game design out there is cray-cray. And you know the lead time on board games a lot. Like, he probably has games coming out, and he's like, oh, yeah. I know. I we were asking him all these things, and he's, like, filtering, like, I, I can't talk about that. Yeah. I can't talk about that. Or, yeah. I know. That's amazing. He probably worked on this, like, what, a year ago? Probably. At least. Yeah. Insane in the membrane. Right. Really cool. Really cool guy. I like that uh, uh, he's got all this wealth of, uh, of design behind him, right? I like I- iterate and iterate. that we helped him realize a dream. We, you and I. It was me mostly me, though. Like, yep. let's, like, let's oh, call. no, I, I fully give you credit. <laughs> you know what? It was really Pelham did a good job of, good of job, making Pelham. sure that his name was on the box. And yep. Hillary. Hillary. And H- Hillary might have had something. Hillary Roth, uh, who uh, runs our relationship with WizKids. And who also probably has something to do with this fantastic song. And this Voilette. Yeah. That's how you pronounce it in Germany. Did you guys realize it's got like D20 tooling on this side yeah, here, this wallet? That. Uh, crazy. It is pretty amazing. Uh, for those of you in podcast land, uh, there are some new fun D&D items you can get at Think Geek. But you cannot um, have this item, this wallet, until you are 14. Is that true? There's an. It says 14 plus. 14 and up. So yeah. on sure your 14th why. birthday, this would be a great gift. But not before that. But if you're 13, nope. eh, wait a year. No, Let's wait a year. That would be very We don't want to teach responsibility of money that early. Do these have an age on them? <laughs> For the socks. <laughs> 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 Mostly because they're Maybe. big. 
You, yeah, you must be at least, uh, you know. 14! 14! What is it about the 14? Don't know. Oh, I mean, you can play right. a board game at 12, you but know you what? can't wear d and I'm giving that to my six-year-old, and you're just going to have to you deal with it. You are irresponsible. You're going to have to deal with it, warning label man. Okay, right now, our QA safety people are like, Ugh. I know. They're already it's getting at me for the pitch us a D&D board game idea question. That's They're the, coming down now. Right now? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's, no. all, that's all the noise we hear from next door. It's the legal <laughs> like, team getting ready. It's like a riot of lawyers. <laughs> I saved you. I you saved did. you really did. something. High five. Mm, yes. Always looking out for each other. Uh-huh. Rising up. That's what we do on no, Dragon very, Talk. It's very, it is a real thing because people will always, sometimes they'll just come up and be like, I have this idea for a game. And like, zip, ah. No, I, you're right. I didn't even think about it as I said the question, but you're right. Like that really? is, it's a, it's a morass of uh, legality that we must uh you know, forget forever yep, and ever. Yep. Um, all right, so we are uh, going to close out this outro right now Do by it. talking about where they can follow you, Shelly Moo. How about Shelly Moo on Twitter? That's you on the Twitters? Okay. What about your uh, your crazy board game company? What's that called? Avalon Hill. You may have heard of it. You may find Avalon Hill on Twitter as well, Avalon Hill 2, the number 2, or on Facebook. Nice. Do it. And you can find out about the Tomb of Annihilation board game uh, on our product page. It's on uh, the DungeonsandDragons.com website. But you can also check it out at WizKids, uh, their website, and uh, in your local game store. Just go check it out. Uh, And if they don't have it stocked, make sure you let them know that you want the latest adventure system game from WizKids and Dungeons & Dragons. It's called Tomb of Annihilation. It's got the crazy Raznisi on the cover. Did you guys see this? It's good stuff. Raznisi. Yeah, this is one of my favorite pieces of the marketing art. I tipped it over and then all the pieces. I know. I know, it's terrible. Uh, So yeah, go check it out there. Um, You can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito. Ask me any questions about uh, Dragon Bait and what he likes to wear out on the town. Probably these socks. Probably these socks. And he likes the smell. Wait, no, that's, yeah, because he's the guy who communicates through scent, right? We did a lawyer you should know on it. So so he likes to smell like socks socks. and uh, that means happiness to him. I'm going to say. That's sweet. Right? Because it reminds him of home. I love it. All right. We're going to close this out. Okay. I love Dungeons & Dragons. Me too. I love Shelly. I love Greg. We're going to say goodbye. See you next week. Bye-bye.